If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can look at Genesis 1 and 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, as you know, we're going to start a new series this year. We're going to be working our way through Revelation together. And this is um, kind of the, the um, last year when we, when we looked at the four-part story of Scripture. You remember that? Creation, rebellion, redemption, restoration. So this year, we're going to think about the idea of restoration the whole year. So we're going to look at, we're going to look at Revelation January through June to work out this idea and to help us understand more about what God means when he talks about restoration. The point of the passage this morning in Genesis 1 and 2 and the point of Revelation itself is this. God always completes what he starts. So that's what I want you to know from Genesis 1 and 2. That's what I want to be thinking about with you as we look at the book of Revelation. God always finishes what he starts. So if you take notes and you write that down, it's something I want you to come back to. As we work our way through Revelation, I want you to be thinking about that. God always completes what he starts. So you might wonder, well, if we're going through Revelation, why in the world are we looking at Genesis this morning? Well, before we get into Revelation, I want to spend four weeks giving you an introduction to Revelation, meaning this. If you don't understand these four ideas that we're going to think about over the next four weeks, you will never understand the book of Revelation. At least you won't understand it rightly. So, first of all, if you don't know that God always completes what he starts, Revelation, you will misinterpret it, I will misinterpret it, we will misunderstand it, and we won't know what it's about. God always completes what he starts. Now, one more thing before I read. Um, Last year, I gave you the numbers three, four, and five that I hope that you were able to, as the year went on, remember those things perhaps or think about them. So this year, I've got a quote for us as a church. So by the end of the year, I hope that we will all know this quote together, all right? And I'm going to do different things to try to help us learn this quote. This quote is taken from a guy named Augustine. He lived around the year 400, we'll say. And this was his summary statement of the book of Revelation. And I think it is beautiful. I think it fits. I think it brings everything together that we're going to look at together, not only this morning, but for the whole year. So this is his summary of the book of Revelation. Here goes. Oh, let's see. What's the beginning of it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. All will be amen and alleluia. We shall rest and we shall see. We shall see and we shall know. We shall know and we shall be loved. We shall be loved and we shall praise. Behold our end, which is no end. Isn't that amazing to think about? Beloved, this is our future. The future is amen and hallelujah. The future is rest. And the future is our faith turns to sight. Our future is that we will not only see, we will know. And we will be loved and we will praise. And that is our end. And there is no end. So I hope you'll think about that 
Hope you'll meditate on that. Hope you'll see all those parts as we look at this together. So I know that's a lot of information on the front end, but I wanted to get that to you. So I want to read to you the first part of Genesis chapter 1, the last part of Genesis chapter 1, and the first three verses of chapter 2. Listen to this. This is God's Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was, out, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let, him, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And so it was. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Then there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. What's the point again we're looking at this morning? God always finishes what he starts. Keep that in mind. Let's pray. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us to understand your word this morning. Perhaps for many of us, this may be a familiar passage that we've read before. So God, help us to remember to see you and to think about you. We ask that you would grant us grace and power, Holy Spirit, to enable us to center our lives on you, not self. Help us to hear good news. Help us to be refreshed. Help us to have a sense of purpose as we go about fulfilling the callings that you have on us this week. Help us to be filled, Lord, with your goodness and your love and your power and your good news. Help us to be filled with who you are. We might live our lives to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Growing up, my favorite toys were, uh, to play with were G.I. Joe. Um, I didn't have a lot of toys because I enjoyed playing sports a whole lot more than either video games or other toys. But I did have some toys, and they were almost exclusively G.I. Joe. I love G.I. Joe. I love playing with all those action figures. It was like I got to uh, uh, think about special forces and military all the time, and I loved it. I loved all the weapons. I loved exploring what they could do. I, I just 
thoroughly loved playing with G.I. Joe. And probably the greatest Christmas gift I got growing up in my early years, the greatest gift I got was this thing called the hovercraft. It was a gigantic hovercraft. It was a gigantic vehicle, kind of hybrid land water thing, and I loved it. Uh, I, I remember when I was young, and uh, the, the box was huge because it, it was a massive, massive thing, massive thing. And I remember ripping through the wrapping paper on Christmas Day. I remember seeing that it was the G.I. Joe hovercraft, and I was just blown away that, that I actually was given this. And the first thing I thought of when I got this gift was this. When can I start playing with it? like ignoring every other gift, and I just wanted to play with this one thing, and I wanted to explore all that it could do. I mean, it had like big cannons on it, guns, and, and could hold other people. It had bomb, think ways you could drop off bombs that would detonate in the water, and it had like an underwater jet ski that you could put a, uh, one of the little figure toy figures on and glide it through the water. I just could not wait to explore everything that this thing could do. I didn't have this question on my mind. How long did it take the person to make this? And the reason I mention this to you and tell you this little story is because of this. The account that we have in Genesis 1 and 2 of creation, we need to recognize it is a gift. Creation is a gift from God. Creation is not only a gift from God, but God recording how he made things is also a gift. And as important as it might be to think about how long did it take God to make this stuff in creation, I want to say as important as that question may be, it's not most important. And to think about how long did it take God to create and make that most important is to miss the point of this passage. And it is not the most important thing, even if I have opinions about how long it took God to create. Even more than that, there are other important questions like, well, how can I... I mean, is the Bible reliable? Can I, can I trust the Bible's account here? Well, if I do trust the Bible, how does that relate to science? How in the world do I, am I supposed to think about what science says with what the Bible says? Do they fit? Do they not? What do I do? That's an important question too. But it's not most important. And if those are things that you want to talk about, how long were the creation days or um, other things about creation, I'm more than happy to talk with you about that. I just want you to know those things aren't most important. You know, to come back to my illustration, my grandparents gave me that gift of the hovercraft. And you know what question I didn't think about hardly at all? On that Christmas day, when I saw that hovercraft and couldn't wait to play with it and explore what it could do, the question that I didn't think about at all was this. What does this gift, the hovercraft, tell me about the giver, my grandparents? What is it telling me about 
who they are and their character and how much they love me. I didn't think about that at all. And sometimes I wonder if we read the creation account and not only do we think things are more important than they really are with some questions, but I wonder if we have forgotten to think about the giver, the creator, rather than the gift, rather than creation. I wonder if we shouldn't spend more time together thinking about what this account tells us about God, the creator, the one who gave us the gift. Now it's true, we are gonna think about creation this morning Absolutely. We're going, I'm going to try to pull out a lot of stuff from here, but I want to do it in such a way. I'm going to try to do it in such a way that we get to think about the giver because so oftentimes we just think about the gift, right? So here's what we're going to do this morning. The main idea is God always completes what he starts. We're going to think about the goal of creation together. We're going to think about how we get there, and we're going to think about so what. Those are the three things we're going to look at this morning. The goal of creation, how do we get there, and so what. Clear? Got me? All right. The goal of creation. I'm going to tell you what it is from the beginning. The goal of creation is this, rest. That's the goal. If you go back and read the first three verses of chapter two, particularly verse two and three of chapter two, what you find is that it says over and over, three times on the seventh day, seventh day, seventh day, God is doing that to communicate something. He's adding emphasis when, when in the original language, when you repeat something, you do it for emphasis. And God is trying to say that he rested from all that he created. He spent an awful lot of energy working to create and meticulously creating, and he rested. He rested. God rested from the work of creation. So I want you to know the goal of creation, the goal of creating is rest. Now we're going to come back to that. Here's what else. Because we know that he rested from creating so let's think about God creating. Let's think about these two chapters. Let's think about creation. Let's think about God in his creating and what he did in creating. One thing I want you to see is this. There is incredible design in what God created. Incredible design. It tells us that God had a plan. He is someone who imbued creation with beautiful, incredible design. Let me explain that a little bit. When you look at day one, what you find is that God separated light from darkness. And then when you read about day four, what you find is that in God, when God separated light from darkness, he created the sun and the moon, and the stars. So that day one kind of parallels what he does with day four. When you look at day two, you see that God separated the water from the sky. 
So then when you look at day five, what do you find? You find God created animals that functioned in the sea, the fish and, and whatnot, and birds in the air. So that there's this parallel to what God did in creating. When you look at day three, what do you find? God created land. So what do you find on day six? God created the animals that live on the earth and human beings, specifically male and female. He made male and female. He made human beings to function on this land. And he even draws our attention to the reality of the fact of the earth. If you look Genesis 1.1, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created all kinds of other planets and solar systems, but he's focusing our attention on the earth. He wants us as men and women to think about this world, to think about the earth. Something that we oftentimes don't want to think about much at all or associate that with some type of political agenda. God made us to inhabit and live on the earth. And when he designed creation, he designed it so we could see how he fit things together. Even more, if you go back and read Genesis 1 and 2, something that you may have heard before, perhaps, is that there's this contradiction between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And there isn't. There's even design in the way that God had Moses record Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, the creation account, so that when you go back and read Genesis 1 and think about creation and how everything fits together, you can think of the relationship between Genesis 1 and 2 in this way. God gives an overview in chapter 1, and in chapter 2, he gives us more detail and focus. So that what happens in chapter 2 is we learn, as we read, about God resting on day 7 and then immediately focuses our attention on day 6 and what God does because it's on day 6 that he makes us. It's on day 6 that he makes human beings and, and gives them incredible worth, which we'll come to. The God of creation is the God of elaborate, intricate design and God wants us to see that all three persons of the Trinity are at work in creation. For those of you that may know your Bibles a little bit more, when you read Genesis 1-1, the word that's used there for God is Elohim. It's plural. God is communicating from verse 1 of Genesis 1 that all three persons of the Godhead were working in creation. When you look at verse 2, it says the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. In other words... The Holy Spirit was there. The imagery that is being used by Moses there in verse 2 of chapter 1 is to communicate that as a mother hen hovers over her chicks and cares for them and protects them and feeds them, so the Holy Spirit watches over all that God is creating and helps to fine-tune and pay specific attention to so that God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit were all active in creating so that we worship all three as one God, three persons that spoke the world into existence. God created out of nothing. He simply spoke 
and things appeared. It is incredible. That's the God of creation. He is a God of design. He is a God of order. He is a God that focuses our attention on the earth and how he has made us to live on this earth so that we might adore and worship him and know him. I read this article that I'm about to read a sample of from you. I read it periodically, a couple times a year. I love it. I love this article. And if you want it, I'm happy to send it to you. I just want to read a, a little excerpt because I want to stir up. Our minds and our hearts should be stirred up with this God of creation. That we might worship him. Listen, listen to this. Our Father wove glory and joy into every layer of this world. He wove in secrets that would tease us into centuries of risk-taking before we'd, we, would, we could unlock them. Flight, glass, electricity, chocolate. He buried gold deep, but scattered sand everywhere. God hung easily picked fruit on trees and hid the secrets of fine wine at the end of a scavenger hunt. He made horses with strong, flat backs, lending themselves to an obvious use. And he hid jet wings behind the mysteries of steel and fossil fuels. We should strive for holiness. But holiness is a flood, not an absence does your sunshine warming the faces of others? Does your rain green the world around you? Do you end your days with anything resembling a sunset? Do you begin with a dawn? The God of creation, the goal of creation is to rest. And in thinking about rest, we got to think about creation. And when God created, he made this world with incredible design. Even more than that, if you look back and read through these, these accounts in Genesis 1 and 2, what you'll find in particular is this phrase over and over, he made it good, very good. That tells you something else about the living God, something else about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'll try to say this. Let me say it this way. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Around the holidays, do you have favorite foods that you expect to eat? Most people have some kind of traditions. And if you don't have traditions, that's fine. There are years where we definitely break tradition. Um, this year for Thanksgiving, we asked our kids, what do you want to eat? And they didn't want turkey. They wanted dad to grill chicken and steaks. So I did. But maybe you have some kind of traditions. Maybe you have some foods that you really like and expect to eat on certain days. But let me ask you something. When you eat that food, the food that you're anticipating, after you eat it, do you have a tendency to say something like this? Mmm, that was good. You ever do that? Don't you understand that is exactly what God is doing with creation? The reason why that phrase is repeated over and over, it was good, it was very good, is because God is delighting in and rejoicing over and in his creation. That means when he formed and made you, he said, you are good. 
You are very good. He was delighting in you, in me, in us. He is delighting and enjoying his creation. That's the living God. He is the God of joy and delight and reveling, just like we do when we eat something that we enjoy. We can't help but say, man, that was good. Thank you. It's the best steak I ever had, Dad. I didn't hear that this year, but... That is us delighting in something. That's what God is doing. And purpose. When you think about creation and the God of creation, he has given us purpose. Purpose. Let me show you what I mean. You probably know the verses at the end of chapter one where there's a conversation going on that we get to get a glimpse into. You know, did you notice how chapter one, verse 26 starts? Then God said, let us, maybe you've thought about that before, but you realize that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are talking. Let us make man in our image. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit were actively involved in making mankind, making human beings, male and female. God did this in conjunction with each in conjunction with each other the triune god made you and me and he made us in god's image that means that we were made fundamentally deep down with a sense of right and wrong it's how we were made someone didn't have to teach us that murder was wrong we knew it instinctively we knew good we understood something of evil from the beginning. And it's not just that we were created with a sense of right and wrong. It's that we were created with an identity. We were given the title of being reflectors of God. We were created in his image to reflect him in the world. So our identity was not something that we were ever going to earn. Our identity was something that we were gifted and even in the garden, Adam and Eve still needed God to help them know what to do with their lives. Even before they rebelled, they still needed God to tell them what to do. So God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Care about where you live. Care about the world. Fill the earth. Spread my glory everywhere. Perhaps you've heard all that before. That's fine. We could go on and on about that. So it's not just at the end of chapter 1 we find out about our purpose. If you look in chapter 2 and verse 15, we find something else. You know those words sometimes like uh, image of God may just kind of glance over us and we don't think much about it or, or we've heard it so much we don't think much about it. Maybe sometimes the dominion of ruling creation and naming the animals and all that, maybe that just kind of glosses over us as well. But this, verse 15 of chapter 2, maybe perhaps gives us something that we don't think about as much, that is every bit as vitally important to understand about purpose. God says that he made Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden to tend and to keep it. Here's what that means. Being created in God's image, having dominion, multiplying, filling the earth, spreading God's glory. This is even more 
tactile in how to do this. We were created to tend and keep, meaning we actually were created to help things organize and help bring organization to things. It means that we were also given the ability to manage. It means that we were given the ability to help other things flourish because we're working with other people and caring about other people. So tending and keeping has everything to do with organizing, encouraging, and helping to flourish. That is your purpose. That is my purpose. That is our purpose as human beings. God has given us all that we need right here in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, if all that still sounds real abstract, I'll try, I read, I read uh, someone that, that summarized our purpose in this way. And maybe this will help you. It has certainly helped me. This is not original to me. This is borrowed from someone else. He said, because we're creating God's image, we need to look in, look out, and look up. So we look in to figure out what are the gifts and the skills that God has given me. We need to look out because we ought to always be thinking of other people and the world in which we live. And we ought to always look up because everything that we do is to glorify God. So if you get frustrated in your job, it is because those three things, one of them, two of them, whatever, are missing or out of alignment. You see, God created us to be missional people. And so if your job is not lining up with the skills and the gifts that God has given you, you won't enjoy it. And if you are doing your job just to serve yourself, and that's something that you really have to think about, that's something you really have to do, some deep down reflection. If we are just doing our jobs for ourselves, we will never be satisfied with our job. We weren't made that way. We were made to serve other people. So if you're in a job, if you're in a career, if you're in a business where there is no mission other than just making money for yourself, you should not and will not be satisfied. All of us are created to have, to live by mission. The mission of loving God and serving him and caring about other people. And ultimately, to glorify him. Not our business, not our boss, not ourselves. And whenever one of those three things is off, we won't like our jobs. We won't be satisfied with it. And by the way, it never means that our work will bring us ultimate satisfaction ever. So think about your jobs. If you're in management position, what are you doing? You're helping to bring order to the company that you work for. You are engaging with others to help them grow in their skills and understanding what they're doing, right? You're bringing order. You are tending something. You are keeping something. You are helping something flourish. You are watching over and taking responsibility for something, if you are in the medical field, what are you, you, you doing? You are taking something, a body that is disjointed and broken in some way, and you're beginning to bring it back to health. If you're a teacher, what are you doing? You aren't just putting more informational dots in the student's mind. You're helping them to connect dots and to what? See how the dots connect to other dots and how everything fits to the 
into the big picture, right? You're helping them grow. You're helping organize. You're helping show how everything fits and there's flourishing. If you cut someone's hair, any of y'all, any of y'all have a, a, your spouse, one, the husband or wife, any of you, y'all cut your kid's hair or your wife cut your hair? My, Jenny cut my hair for like 16 years of our marriage. She doesn't anymore. But you realize that cutting hair illustrates this too, doesn't it? Whether you do it just for fun or do it as a profession. You're taking what's disorganized and you're making it organized and clean and symmetrical so it fits the shape of your face and everything else, right? It means no matter what you're doing, you are bringing organization to something and you're helping something flourish, in particular helping others flourish. So if you're in a field that isn't meeting a need for anyone, Number one, it just won't work because it's not a good business, but deep down, you won't be satisfied because you're not serving others. You're not serving God. God has created us with purpose to live in his world, to reflect his glory no matter what we are doing, whether we're teaching, whether we're cutting hair, whether we're managing no matter what we're doing. See, this brings us back to rest. The goal of creation is rest. It's repeated over and over here. God Sabbathed from the work that he has done. But you see, rest is not in action. Rest is not in action. Rest is delighting in Rest is enjoying. Rest is having satisfaction. Have you ever done one part of your job where you got some satisfaction? My hunch is you have. Rest is satisfaction. Rest means that there is a rhythm to your life and my life of working and delighting in it and enjoying it. And being satisfied with what God is doing through it. The goal of creation is rest. Now I realize if I was in your seat, I might be thinking, I might be thinking to myself, well, you know what, Dave? That's not the way that I see the world at all. Matter of fact, when I look in the world, I don't see this perfect harmony going on where people are knowing what they're supposed to be doing with their lives and they understand their skill set and they understand their jobs. Dave, my job isn't that fun at all. Matter of fact, sometimes my job is incredibly overwhelming and sometimes it crushes me. And besides that, if I'm honest with you, Dave, the truth is that oftentimes my job can be a temptation because it's where I'm tempted to think, you know what, this is where I get my worth. This is where other people look at me and think, oh, I'm important. Oh, I mean something. Oh, I have this skill. Oh, I'm smart. So if I'm you, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know what, I see disease everywhere, I see brokenness everywhere, and I think that my job even doesn't even line up with what you're talking about. And what I would say is this, you know, every death, every disease, every temptation we have, every struggle we have at work is all traced back to one question. 
That question comes in chapter 3 of Genesis. That question is this. Has God really said? In other words, God created, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit created, and he has given us purpose and identity and told us how he wants us to live and how we're supposed to function in the world. Has God really said all those things? Has God really made us male and female? Has God really made us to have dominion? Has God really made us to tend and work things? I'm not sure God is trustworthy. That's what that question is implying, isn't it? Has God really said this? I'm not sure he is trustworthy. Another aspect of that question is this. You know, not only do I think God is perhaps not trustworthy, I think he's withholding something from us. So what do we do? Well, we've all answered that question, as God really said, by saying, I'd rather try to do it my own way than what God says. And that's what's brought about the disease and the death and the struggle we have at our jobs. How it's on one hand a temptation for us and on the other hand oftentimes we find ourselves being overwhelmed. Yeah, there are glimpses here and there of satisfaction, right? But let's face it, work is hard, isn't it? It's hard to find out your skills. It's hard to get a job that lines up with that. It's hard to find a job and think about mission. It's hard to think about glorifying God in work, isn't it? You see, we bought into the lie that we could do it our own. We could do it our own way. And all this mess has happened because we didn't trust God. But you know what? God's answer to that is Jesus. You see, the word that created also became a person. Jesus was the word in the beginning, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and he could be seen and lived in the presence of, and he was glorious, and he was full of truth, and what he did is that he, Jesus, endured all the consequences of our rebellion, saying that God isn't trustworthy. I'm going to do my own thing. I'd rather believe the lie that I can figure out creation and self on my own. And the consequences of that are catastrophic. And Jesus endured the consequences of all of that rebellion. Because that rebellion against God brought what? A curse to us and the world? And the wrath of God? And what Jesus did through his death and resurrection is to absorb the consequences of our rebellion. And not only that, he also lived a perfect life. He lived the life that we should be living in which he understood what was going on inside. And he understood how he's supposed to serve other people. And he understood that he was supposed to honor and glorify God in everything that he was doing. That's how Jesus lived. He loved God. He loved people. And he loved the place. Jesus lived for the life of the world. Just like what we are supposed to do. The only thing is... We can't. We can't live for the life of the world without him. 
But you see, the good news is that Jesus took the consequences and lived the life so that by receiving him, we are being restored to how God made us. So that we're in the struggle of living in a fallen world, understanding our own weaknesses more and more, but realizing who God made us to be and realizing that we were made to serve others and realizing that we were made to ultimately glorify God in everything that we're doing. Rest. Jesus is the only way we're going to find rest, which is not in action. Rest is being satisfied in who God made us and who he says we are and in living life with him. And the only way to live all this out is through Jesus. That's how we get there. God always finishes what he starts. The work that he starts in our life, he will bring it to completion. The work that he started creation, he will bring to completion. He always finishes what he starts. And in Jesus, it's the only place where we will live the way that we're supposed to live. It's the only way that we'll find that rest. So what? What in the world does this have to do with Revelation? Why in the world are we starting here? What does Genesis 1 and 2 have to do with Revelation? Well, I want you to understand that Genesis 1 and 2 are giving us the trajectory for the entirety of reality. Genesis 1 and 2 are giving us the trajectory for all of the Bible, all of reality, everything. What God intends at the first is what he intends at the end. There is no change. God intends to rest and to bring everything to a state of rest, delighting, enjoying, satisfaction, rhythm. You see, what God is doing in the book of Revelation is he's not only completing what he started, but he is allowing us to look behind the curtain on all the lies that we live by and all the lies that we are told. And he's showing how all of those lies never work. And one day, all of those lies will come to an absolute end. And we will see the truth completely, finally, fully. And we will have rest. You see, God always completes what he starts. And what that means for me and you is that he's always intended to dwell with his people. And when that happens, there will be rest. Beloved, don't miss this part of Genesis 1 and 2. Last thing I'll say. Genesis 1 gives us the overview of creation. Genesis 2 focuses our attention, is more specific, and says this, think about this. Focus on this. What day were we created on? Six. What is our first experience with God? Day seven. What happens on day seven? Rest. It's how we were made to live with God and God with us 
to enjoy him, delight in him, to have a rhythm of rest and work forever. Please pray with me. We thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to be the lamb that was to be slain so that you might be king forever and ever and ever. Thank you for completing what you start. And we long for the day when we'll be with you again forever. And there will be eternal rest where we will work, where we will fulfill the purpose for which you made us. And not only will we work, but we will rest and be satisfied, enjoying you, delighting in you forever and ever, and you with us. We thank you. We pray in your name. Amen. Beloved, if you would stand, your God desires to bless you. And what Christ has done in his death and resurrection means something for your everyday life. So take these words and live by them. Through every circumstance, everything in your life, live by what God says. The Lord your God is going to bless you and he is also going to keep you. Today and tomorrow, God's smile is upon you. And he is going to be gracious to you. And in the age to come forever and ever, and today, his presence is with you. And one day, he will bring peace. He will make all things right. Because our Christ is alive. Amen. Go in his peace.